If you are new here, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us and get in the information flow uh, regarding ministry opportunities uh, at Church of the Rock for your growth, uh, the best way for you to do that is to go over to the info table after the service, fill out a card, and that uh, gives us a chance to get in touch with you and then let you know uh, what uh, opportunities we have uh, to serve your growth here at Church on the Rock. Um, if you are new here, this is your very first time, I have some very exciting news. Mm-hmm. Uh, the God of the universe, the God who knew you before time began, uh, your creator has sent his spirit here to be with you this morning, mm-hmm. to speak right. to you, uh, to uh, connect with your heart in very real, personal ways. And uh, it is our prayer every week as a leadership team when we come together uh, outside of this time that you would be able to hear from him during this time. And that's our prayer this morning. That's our expectation. So towards that end, you're going to continue us on in the story of Esther. Yeah. Such a, such a fascinating right. little story. I've it is. really been enjoying being in it this time. Just. Yeah seeing some new details and just the humanity of it. This is the kind of, it's the kind of book where I, I would, rather than this kind of setting, I, would, I wish we could all hang out in a living room right. and just kind of read through it together and yeah. talk about it. Yeah, but, it's a great story. Yeah. So you're going to take us through the next little piece of that. Mm-hmm. I'll pray for you. Thanks. God, I do thank you for your word and uh, the testimonies that have been recorded there mm-hmm. of your faithfulness. Um, the testimony of those who have uh, sought after you and found you in very uh, real, tangible ways in their own experience. I pray this morning, God, that uh, we would find you uh, through the story of uh, Esther, that we would hear from you, that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks. Well, although the story of Esther is, the book of Esther really is fascinating, not only in the events that it covers, but even in the way that it's very skillfully written, all of it, very interesting, fun to think about. Even so, even though this text is fascinating, the message this morning is very simple. Uh, I I would say maybe even, maybe even unimpressive. Um, the, the, there's, there's just not a lot of uh, uh, m- uh, magic to it, and yet it, is, it reveals and highlights a, a point that we must grasp. And so as I've been preparing and reading this, this passage and thinking through the story of Esther, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but as you read through the scripture, often there will be a thought or a theme that you just can't move beyond, right? You get hung up there. And the thought and theme that I have gotten hung up on, it is, it is the, the big takeaway, and I'll just give it to you right now at the very beginning. The thought that I, I keep getting stuck on is that in the midst of this whole story and all these coincidences that, that just happen to happen, in the midst of all that, God is present. Again, not rocket science, a simple truth, but it is a truth. It's a truth that can shape yours and my decisions and reactions to life. God is present. And as we look through this passage, we're going to discover one of the characters in particular uh, serves us as a a guide, a coach, for where we might find God. We know that he's present in our lives. Where might we find him? And so we'll look at that. 
You know, it was a, it was a bright, clear morning in October of 1996 when I first woke up in Homer, Alaska. And how I got here, uh, this is 1996. This is on the, uh, for some of you, you can't imagine a, a life without the internet. Uh, but in 1996, at least where I went to high school, the internet was just barely like this thing. Uh, uh, Al Gore had just created it, and it was worked its way into my high school, but it was very, very minimal use, as far as, at least for me as a student. So there really wasn't a lot of activity on the internet, and um, uh, to, to Google Homer, Alaska, it wasn't an option, and it certainly wouldn't have occurred to me. But somehow, by the grace of God, I received, I really, I, I, it's, I, I really don't know how it shook out, but somehow I got into my hand a black and white brochure with some, um, some fairly basic photoshopping of a moose on the front of it. It was a brochure for the Alaska Bible Institute. And all my friends were going to college. It was time for me to make a decision if I got something going on. Huh? Oh, you do? Oh, it was the PowerPoint? Yeah, there you go. Always something. Why doesn't this ever happen to Aaron Weiser? It never happens. It's always me. What is up with that? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway... I, uh, I had gotten this black and white brochure of Alaska Bible Institute. It was time for me to make a decision. To, my dad was ready for me to get out of the house. And so uh, I had decided, you know, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And ABI is inexpensive, and it's in Alaska, and it's Bible. I mean, it, uh, my plan was, as is everyone's plan who goes to ABI, I'm going to go for one year, figure out my life, and then leave that place. Uh, and then they come, and they never leave. <laughs> right? Like 50% of this church, right? Yeah. Well, uh, and so with very little information about what a homer in Alaska was, I jumped on a plane and flew up here. I flew in, and it was dark. And somebody picked me up at the airport and drive me up this winding hill. And coming from a cornfield in Michigan, I thought, we're going to fall off the side of this mountain. Now it's nothing. Now I, well, I, I do that hill pretty quick now. <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway, and, in, and under the cover of dark, I went to bed. And in the morning, I woke up and pulled the curtain back on Ketchumac Bay. I was blown away. I had no idea, right, where I was, the beauty of this place. It was amazing. And I knew the Lord lives here in over Alaska, right? That God is local. That the God of the universe is in this place. I want to read to you, I think, can uh, I'm going to read it, and you just listen. Um, Acts 17, 26 through 27. It's one of, my, one of my favorite little passages. I return to it over and over again. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, every person on earth uh, 
was born into and lives in a particular place that God ordained for them to live in. Not only that, but a particular time where God ordained for them to, uh, to live out their life. Verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. That from each of those places and each of those times, there's, there's a unique experience of God to be had. And from that place and from that time, if you would just reach out to him, you would discover him and you would discover um, among a number of other things, you would discover that in that place, at the end of the road, in 1996, and even now in 2019, God is present. God is local. I remember uh, listening to NPR, this is uh, a little while ago, um, uh, uh, I forget the name of it now. Uh, not the city of refuge. What was going on? Remember a couple years ago here in Homer? Sanctuary city, thank you. Yeah, when all of that was going on, and I was surprised to hear on NPR uh, a report about um, Homer, Alaska. And what struck me about that was that the, the journalist who was doing that report had spent some time, if I remember correctly, had spent some time in Homer while they were in college and then had moved on with their lives. But Homer... <laughs> stuck in their heart, right? And you can relate to that, right? Uh, you, you come to Homer, and then you leave Homer, but you never stop thinking about it. And I just wonder if that isn't part of our, our, uh, our calling as locals of Homer to, to assist people and to, to just kind of be a part of the display of God's presence and character from Homer, Alaska. You know what I mean? That we, that we participate in that. Um, because even here, in this place, at this time, God is local. It is a truth of our faith. God is present. He's got the whole world in his hands. And yet we invite this God who's got the whole world in his hands. We invite this God to live in our hearts. This is a concept my, my girls have a hard time wrapping their brain around. So he's big, but he's tiny, right? Yeah, I don't know how to explain it except to say that God is present. He is local. He's a part of our lives. Jeremiah 23 says, I am a God at hand, declares the Lord. This is what he says about himself. Am I a God at hand and not a God far away? I'm both, right? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. He's present. And yet, it is a part of our human experience sometimes to wonder, where is God? I don't sense his presence. I look at, uh, uh, I look at what's going on in my life, maybe a, a, an unjust suffering, Right? I look at what's going on in my life and I say, if God were here now, if he were present, how can this be going on? 
or I look at my history and I remember the things that I have done consistently that are an offense to him, where I have sinned against him repeatedly in the same ways over a long period of time, and I ask myself, how can God be here now in, 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 in the face of all of my sinfulness? And so we pick up the story of Esther, and we find the Jews now being uh, experiencing a, a, a discipline from the Lord, moved into a time of exile, away from the promised land. And while in that exile, there was a man named Haman who had authority from the king to seek their destruction. And so their sin led them in their minds away from the Lord. And this unjust suffering that was about to come into their life, seemingly like a freight train with almost no way to stop it, it, the unjust suffering also made them possibly wonder, where is God? And I think that it's not too much of a stretch to say that we, in very personal, private ways, we wrestle with that question as well. One of the things that's unique about the book of Esther from all the other books in our Bible, is that the book of Esther never names God. You read through that book and you, you see some amazing things happen, but it's never attributed to the God of the Jews, Yahweh, Jehovah. And, and if you were just reading the words, you might ask, where is God? Is he absent from this story? Where can I find God? Is God absent? Or is he just unnoticed? And steps into the story a man by the name of Mordecai. And Mordecai serves us as a guide. I'm going to offer him to you this morning as a guide. If you're asking the question this morning, where can I find God Let's look at Mordecai and see if he doesn't give us some hints as to where God may be found. Of course, Mordecai never utters the name God. He never says, man, here, I, here he is. I, I found him right here, right? And so we don't know necessarily that he found God in those places. And I think that's important. I'm not offering you a formula to find God. I'm not offering you uh, a formula to fix your situation that led you to that question of where is God. All I'm offering you is uh, uh, maybe, <clears throat> maybe a little uh, a direction from the life of Mordecai, a man who lived a life that was, uh, uh, was uh, marked by the presence of God, right? Um, a little direction from his example. And so Esther, chapter 2, we'll begin here. This is just one little vignette, actually, of several that we discover where Mordecai is just it happens to be at the right place at the right time. Esther, chapter 2, verse 21, he says, In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, now that clues us in, Mordecai was a, kind of a bigwig in that area. He was a man of influence. He was sitting at the gate. He was involved in commerce. He was possibly involved in making uh, decisions, 
maybe even uh, on behalf of the king himself, okay? Sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on, on King Xerxes, presumably not just to lay hands on him, but to assassinate him, to kill him, to do him damage. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told it to the king in the name of Mordecai. And when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Pretty interesting story. These two eunuchs had in their heart to destroy King Xerxes for some reason. And, you know, to assassinate the king, you got to have, well, you got to have guts to assassinate uh, the, the most powerful king in the land, right? And so these two men had this plan. We're going to have this guy assassinated. In one way or another, Mordecai just happened to be at the right place at the right time. He heard the information, and he took it seriously. He, Mordecai is a man who actually uh, believed that there was something more going on all the time. He was a bit of a conspiracy theorist. As you read through this whole book, you discover he's always clued into the next layer of meaning and happening. He suspected something more was going on, and he took that suspicion seriously. The threats and the opportunities before him moved him to action. When I talk about conspiracy theories and, and believing that there's something more, really what I'm talking about is a person who believes that, that there is what we see happening, and then there is something more behind it. I'm not talking about if Elvis is still alive and living in Kalamazoo. I'm not talking about whether or not we actually made it to the moon, stuff like that. I'm talking about um, is prayer effective if I pray into something, is there another layer of activity that I ought to be taking seriously? If I am generous, is there another layer of activity to that gift, that sacrifice, that accomplishes things in another, in another dimension or realm? It sounds weird, doesn't it? But Mordecai seemed to be a man who was comfortable believing that that there's something more going on and took it so seriously that he moved on those things. I think it's interesting that Mordecai saves the king and the king has it written down in the books and then absolutely nothing happens to honor Mordecai's taking seriously the, uh, the, this, the conspiracy, right? Absolutely nothing until much later. So that even in Mordecai's being overlooked, there was purpose, right? And Mordecai seemed to, uh, to embrace that. Uh, in the ordinary happenstance of life, he believed that there was more. And in that place, the presence of the Lord was made manifest to him. Do you believe that your days are ordained by the Lord? Do you believe, do you believe in divine appointments? 
do you believe that the, uh, the, the stuff of earth that you've been given charge over, that the stuff that you have in your hands can be transformed into something of eternal value? I would say to you today, again, it's not a formula, and so I'm not making a promise. But if you're somebody who is wondering, where is God? I would say that if you were were to begin to believe that there's more going on than just what meets the eye, and if you would take that seriously and move on it, that in that place, I would believe that you, you would begin to discover the presence of God. And so Mordecai once again discovered of another plot, another conspiracy. A man by the name of Haman had a plan to destroy the Jews. He actually had a date on the calendar to destroy the Jews. He had permission to destroy the Jews. He was well-funded. He was ready and able. And so Mordecai, hearing that news, again, at the right place at the right time, and taking it seriously, put on sackcloth and began to uh, mourn and fast. And he goes to the queen, his, his cousin, Esther, and he says to Esther, he says, <clears throat> well, he actually uh, goes through a messenger he sends the messenger and he says, tell Esther this is going on if, and we need her to go to the king and intervene on behalf of her nation, the Jewish people. And Esther sends the messenger back to Mordecai and says, Mordecai, you don't understand how it works. I can't just walk into the king's presence. I know you, you hear me with the title queen and you think I have all this freedom here, but the truth is I'm one of many. And if I were to walk into the king's presence without being invited by him, he could have me killed, especially if I'm bringing a message uh, that opposes uh, something that he's already given permission for. I could lose my very life doing this. And Mordecai says to the messenger, he says, uh, uh, I need you to go back to Esther one more time with a message. And in this message, uh, uh, well, here's the message. Let me read it to you. Esther chapter 4, 12 through 14. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are, the, you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. And I love that. Again, a man who was expecting something out here was actually happening, that God would preserve his people at some, some way, at some point in time. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther, I recognize that this is a, a huge risk. But I see in you a significance that is perfect for this time and this need. Esther, you're not nobody, okay? Uh, 
you have an opportunity. You are uniquely placed there. The Lord has invested things in you that are significant and that will serve us if you are willing to make it available. I see a significance in you. Listen, the Lord is going to act as the Lord always does, and he will preserve these people. But it may not be in time for you and your family. It may be that God has risen you up, you, uniquely you, for this unique time and this unique need. Mordecai found hints of the Lord's presence in the significance of others. He saw this woman, Esther, before her, and he said, no, there is a peace of God in you. You are an image bearer. You are made in his likeness. You go with the very presence of God. I'll share with you uh, something that uh, uh, may change your opinion of me. And I would just say, before you write me off entirely, uh, if, 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 you've never, if you've never had, uh, if you've never participated in foster care, um, um, do that. Do that first, and then write me off for what I'm about to tell you, okay? My wife and I have had a number of uh, foster children in our home. Um, I, I, I don't think of myself as like a control Nazi, but I do like order, right? And when we've had those opportunities, it has uh, almost every time, at least for a time, kind of scrambled things. And I don't do well there. I don't do well scrambled. That, uh, that having such great need in my home and such great need that it's up to me and my wife to meet at our, as best as we can. And it turns out that my wife is far better at meeting those needs than I am. But there have been times when being exposed to such great need has pushed me to the end of myself and then some, right? And there have been times when I just didn't know what to do. I feel like I'm maybe, you might be thinking, is he being overdramatic? I don't think I am. It's just, but I'll, 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 I'm just telling you it was difficult for me. And I remember specific moments with this child right before me, this child who, whose needs pushed me to the end of myself and thinking, <laughs> whatever that is. And then, but looking at this child and the Lord saying, my image, my likeness, I am there. And, and a, a new, renewed compassion and commitment to respecting this child and their needs is born again in me because I discovered the Lord there. Can you dig that? Yeah. Just recognizing the significance of the people in your life. And Jesus says, I was sick and you, 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 whatever, I forget what it is, what, what they did, but they did something. They maybe came and visited him or, no, that was the prisoner. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you helped me. I was hungry and you fed me. And the people said, We've never seen you sick or in prison. We've, we've never seen you hungry. 
And, and Jesus said, yeah, but when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And Jesus said to another crowd, he says, I was sick and I was in prison and I was hungry and you met my need and people said, no, or, and you didn't meet my need and, 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 and people said, no, 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 you, you, you were never, if you were sick, we would have come to your need, but we, you were never sick and so, so we didn't do that. And he says, I know, but that's where I was. I was there in the needs, the significance of those people. So you're wondering, where is God? Well, he's in the significance of the people in your life. You, you just might rediscover him there once again, right? I'm so thankful, personally, I'm so thankful that Jesus has provided for me an opportunity of repentance, you know? Because the truth is, uh, when I'm exposed to the great needs of other people, um, Often my first inclination is to find the exit door, right? Honestly, can you, can you appreciate that? No. And Jesus says, no, no, go, go back, go back. That's where I am. And Mordecai, uh, the, third, the third place where I think we can discover, expect to discover the Lord when we wonder where he is is the passage that I read last week. I won't read it again, but you know, the, the book of Esther wraps up. Mordecai says, hey, uh, we need, we need uh, the generations to remember uh, what took place here, how the Lord sovereignly stepped in and rescued the Jewish nation. We need them to remember that. So let's, let's put together a plan for celebration for the generations. A plan will, will celebrate Purim. And I just so appreciate Mordecai's uh, planning for the future. That, uh, that if you're wondering, if you're wondering, where is God? You may rediscover him simply in making plans for the future. And I would say, especially to those of you that are, um, uh, I would say, very young, maybe in your high school 20s, and I would also say to those of you who are, who are older, maybe looking, at, looking towards retirement and moving into an altogether different season than you've ever experienced before, I would say especially to those groups. You know, um, when we are making decisions about the future, we often want the Lord to come and meet us in that place and tell us where to go. And sometimes that happens for people. But I would say this, also what happens for people is as you make plans, the Lord shows up. You discover him in the planning. Don't let uh, that keep you stuck, necessarily. But Mordecai found God in planning for the future. Generations to come, he says. God will be there also. Uh, we better put together a plan so that he is acknowledged let me read to you this passage. This passage has always kind of irritated me. Uh, but it's in the Bible. So here it is. James 4, 13 through 15. James says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Verse 14. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. 
What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, and this is the part that irritates me, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Well, I have a hierarchical need to self-actualize, you know? I, I can't be waiting for the Lord to will something. I've got to keep things moving. I've got to make decisions and move forward, right? And there's a tension there. I realize I kind of contradicted myself just now. But the, the reality is there is a tension there uh, of, of saying, this is my plan, and my plan is submitted to the Lord. And I expect that the Lord will be there. I'm making a plan. I'm considering the Lord in this plan. And, uh, uh, but when this plan is actually being lived out, I will have to deal with the consequences of the presence of the Lord in that time and in that place as well. And I would say to you, if you are wondering, where is God? What if you were to begin to make plans for the future? My guess is, in the process, if you will consider the fact that there, in the future, in that time and in that place, the presence of God, he will be local there and then also. That if you would make plans with him in mind being there as well, that he will meet you now, in this place, as you make those plans. You know, I, uh, you're probably so sick of hearing about this resignation. I'm so sorry. It's just, <laughs> it's just a, it's been a big deal in my life, right? But the process of making that decision, it's just a decision I made, right? You're making your own decisions. Um, but the process of making a decision is such a tremendous opportunity to invite the Lord in. Invite the Lord in. Lord, what about this motivation? And what about this thought? And what about this resource, right? And just an opportunity to have this really wonderful, ongoing conversation with the Lord. And Proverbs says, um, in all your ways, in all your plans and all your paths, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Is the Lord absent? Or is he just unnoticed? What would it be like for you and I to begin now to strive to acknowledge the Lord? To strive to acknowledge the Lord in this decision, in these plans, in these relationships, in that person, in this calendar, <laughs> in this to-do list, in every day's happenstance. I'd like to invite the worship team forward. If you come to my house and you're, you're all invited, you're, you're welcome to show up. You'll see on my fridge, on a, on a very old 3 by 5 card, a verse uh, that I wrote out a long time ago. And I like to keep it out because the fact is I'm so... For me, I'm just talking about me personally. I'm so confident in the grace of God that I, 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 do, I feel a lot of freedom to, to just move on with my life. And I just believe that the Lord is just so thrilled with me. <laughs> 
uh, you know, that, that, it, that it's, it's fine. Uh, I, I do struggle with stealing myself long enough to acknowledge the, the Lord. I struggle with that discipline, right? So on my fridge is this verse. Hosea verse six, verse, chapter six, verse three. He says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on. Let us work towards acknowledging the Lord. Let us stop ourselves and discipline ourselves to acknowledge the presence of the Lord. He's local. He's here. He's now. He's in my decision-making. He's in my relationships. He's in the events that make up my ordinary days. Let us acknowledge him. Hebrews says, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so may we be a people who press on to acknowledge the Lord. May we, even when he feels absent to us, may we seek him and acknowledge him and enjoy the many rewards, benefits that come from his presence. Amen. Would you stand? In a conversation with a friend of mine this week, I was telling him about my busy schedule. I got a lot going on, you know. He's a guy from out of town. Sam Gandy, actually. Some, many of you will remember Sam. He says to me, Skip, that's great. You got a lot going on. Don't forget your family. <laughs> Stop. Acknowledge. My wife needs to know that I see her. She needs to know that I'm aware that she's in the house too. <laughs> right? I'm busy, busy, busy. My kids need me to look at them long enough to have thoughts about them, to acknowledge them. Right? I see you. I know you. You're with me. We know that that's true in these human relationships. It's equally true in our relationship with the Lord. And so this morning, let's stop. That's the beauty of this hour. And acknowledge the Lord. As you know, Church on the Rock, we actually provide a couple of opportunities to kind of aid in the stopping there's a handful of people over to the side that would be glad to pray with you, to go to the presence of the Lord with you. There's opportunities to support the ministry of Church on the Rock. So around the room are these tables with the, the broken bread and the, the juice representing Jesus' shed blood. A good opportunity to stop and acknowledge the sacrifice. And of course, as we sing, to acknowledge the character presence, the benefits of the Lord. Let's worship. Well, it's, that, that's the good news. 
that he is not far from any one of us, right? So we leave this place celebrating that. We leave this place knowing that we met him here and we'll meet him there, right? We met him now and we'll meet him then. He is local. He's in our lives. We can put that question aside and just begin to acknowledge him and enjoy him. Will the Lord bless you as you leave? Uh, we will see you next week. And I think I don't have anything else to say. So, see ya.